Hello, everyone. This is Ryan, one half of the titular wrestling purists. You'll hear this little intro before each one of the lost episodes. So before this podcast was started, I got my break into podcasting in 2020 with a podcast called Podcast World Order, also known as PWO. Jeff was known on their show as the resident wrestling purist. On their YouTube channel, I would have a weekly show called Referee's Discretion that turned into the ref bump with Jeff, which then turned back into Referee's Discretion, but this time with Jeff. Uh, shortly after that, I decided to leave PWO to start the Wrestling Purist with Jeff. So I owe the name of the Wrestling Purist to Jeff and my break into podcasting to the guys at PWO. Thank you, everyone, for the support. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Check out the Wrestling Purist on all social media at WPPod1. That's WPPOD1. And I hope you enjoy some of my early work as a reviewer. Hello, everyone. My name is Cod Sinclair, and welcome to another episode of Referee's Discretion. Today, we are taking a look at Heroes of Wrestling, took place on October 10th, 1999 in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi at the Casino Magic Hotel and Casino. You can find this entire event on YouTube. This event is infamous for a number of reasons. The card is littered with veterans who are either past their prime or shouldn't be in a wrestling ring anymore. Promoter Bill Stone signed any big name free agent that wasn't with WWF or WCW regardless of their in-ring abilities. Despite this event being heavily advertised, they fell short of their target buy rate by about 12,000 buys. If they would have hit that target, it would have been profitable enough for future events. With zero knowledge of the professional wrestling business, Stone hired Michael Lombardi, most famous for his days as a promoter for Northeast Wrestling. Talents Lombardi reached out to included Vader, Terry Funk, Bam Bam Bigelow, The Honky Tonk Man, Sid Vicious, and Nick Bockwinkle. All declined to attend except for Bockwinkle and Sid. Bockwinkle no-showed the event, and Sid backed out after signing with WCW in June of the same year. Legendary play-by-play announcer Gordon Soley was also scheduled to be there, but could not due to health issues. He ended up passing away from throat cancer the following July. His replacement was broadcaster Randy Rosenblum. He had never covered professional wrestling before this night. His broadcast partners for the evening were Dirty Dutch Mantel and Captain Lou Albano. They found themselves constantly correcting Rosenblum on basic wrestling moves and terminology. We'll get to specifics as we go and I'll make sure to point them out. But before we get started, The system I use for how I'll be grading each match is in the comments below. Check it out or use it as a reference as we go along. Interviewer Michael St. John is backstage with King Kong Bundy. Bundy calls himself the greatest super heavyweight in the history of professional wrestling. His opponent Yokozuna takes offense and a fight breaks out which is quickly broken up. Through the opening hype package, you hear names like the former Yokozuna and Luke and Butch, formerly the Bushwhackers. This is because their WWE names were still property of WWE. Bill Stone brought his attorney in to make sure they weren't going to be sued for those reasons. That ends up not being true, but I'll clarify more at the end of the show. Opening pyro goes off and Rosenblum says that over 2,000 people are packed into this barn at Casino Magic. Rosenblum and Dutch are running through the card and you can already tell that Rosenblum is out of his element. Opening contest here on Heroes of Wrestling, the Samoan SWAT team comprised of Fatu and Samu are facing Tommy Rogers and Marty Jannetty. Paul Adams, representing the Samoan SWAT team, starts to cut a promo when he slips and calls Bay St. Louis Biloxi. 
he could have legitimately slipped or forgot, but the crowd caught him and they were all over him. Both teams are playing to the crowd to start. The Samoa SWAT team powed out a handful of times throughout the match. But right from the jump, Dutch Mantel corrects Randy Rosenblum on some of his play-by-play. He calls a drop kick a leg kick and an arm drag a slam takedown. We get some old school tag team spots, one of which being the referee getting distracted while the heels beat down the face. Towards the end of the match, Fatu hits Janetti with a chair on the outside. It seemed like the referee was right in the right position to make a call there, um, but just doesn't. Janetti hits Fatu with a crossbody onto the outside, which gives Samu time to hit Rogers with a modified cutter to win. In post-match replays, Rosenblum calls Samu's finisher a Samoan drop. Um, like, like I said, Rosenblum is not equipped um, to call this, but we're into it now. You can't change. <laughs> um, my decision is that it's a half count. Um, pretty boring opener. Janetti showed he could still go with the only high spots of this match. Not sure why every time the referee counted throughout this match, it was a fast count. Um, He probably just wants to get out of there as quick as possible. Um, The half count, though, is solely for the effort that Janetti puts in. Um, Otherwise, it would have been a count out or even a no contest. Backstage, St. John is with Sherry Martell. He asks her about her relationship with George Steele. Um, They show a video package of them checking into the hotel and George being a little playful with her. Um, and then at the end of the video, um, it, it, it looks like, uh, he rips off a piece of her blouse and then they just go into their hotel room. Um, so she's responding to the St. John and George Seals just walks up shouting, fight, 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 like a lost, crazy old man. Um, then they just walk away. Um, next match, though, is George the Animal Steel taking on Greg the Hammer Valentine. This match is being advertised as a Beauty and the Beast grudge match. Valentine calls himself the greatest wrestling machine of all time. And when he wins, he's going to walk out with Sherry Martell. Steel is out to the ring next, and fun fact, he's 61 years old here. Um, he works the crowd the entire match. Um, it's, it's a bit silly. Um, he pretends to bite the turnbuckle, then he doesn't. Then he goes to bite Valentine, then he doesn't. Goes back to biting the turnbuckle. It's, it's crazy, and it's overdrawn. Um, uh, Valentine actually gets George Steele's shirt over his head, um, and it gets stuck, and, you know, Valentine just keeps continuing to drop elbows, um, and out of nowhere, um, Valentine distracts the referee, and Sherry just comes up and starts raking George Steele's eyes, uh, so the heel turn is on, um, Steele gets his senses back about him, um, you know, gives Valentine a right hand, he powders out of the ring, um, as he's getting back in the ring, the referee's focused on him. And then out of nowhere, you hear a fan yell, Hey, George, she's got a chair. Sherry hits George Steele in the back of the head with the chair. Um, Valentine moves the referee and goes to pin George Steele and gets the three count. Um, post-match, George Steele throws Sherry out of the ring and chases uh, Greg Valentine away. He bites the turnbuckle. Everything goes everywhere. Um, and that's it. <laughs> um, the decision here is a count out. Um, referee's discretion here is a count out. Um, there is one grade lower, but we will get to that when we get there. Um, this was this, this, this was a joke. It was boring. Um, George Steele's offense was a right hand or two. Um, Valentine's offense was a couple elbows, a couple of stomps in the corner, um, and a few shots with a foreign object. Um, This is one you can definitely skip on this card.
backstage interview now. St. John is with Julio Fantastico um, on a show called Heroes of Wrestling. And I know I said this card was littered with veterans who shouldn't be in the ring anymore. Um, Julio Fantastico, or he'd be known as Julio De Niro in TNA, um, he was in his mid-20s here. Um, a real a real veteran, a real hero of wrestling. Um, no audio for the first couple of seconds of the interview, um, but a typical face promo to start, you know, saying he will be the greatest pro wrestler of all time, and, you know, he's going to show us why with every single match he wrestles. Um, St. John responds, and he says, you know, Scorpio is the most talented professional wrestler in the world today, and Fantastico still has a lot to prove. Um... Fantastico says he is the Michael Jordan of professional wrestling. Um, Got to take that one in because that that's <laughs> on a card in an event where there's a lot of crazy things that happen. Um, kind of overstepping ourselves there. Considering we're mid-20s, not a hero of wrestling. But anyway, um, Fantastico to the ring out first. Um, healing it up for sure. Uh, two Cold Scorpio coming out to the ring, uh, carrying a replica of the Ric Flair style World Heavyweight Championship. Um, it's never explained why or what it signifies or if it's on the line or anything. It's just a replica belt. Um, Dutch announces the, the arrival of Captain Lou Albano to the commentary table. Um, he immediately starts rambling and mumbling whatever he's trying to say and then goes on to say that this is one of the greatest wrestling events of all time. Um, he was probably doing or consuming whatever Jake, Jake Roberts was throughout the show, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, some okay back and forth to start. Um, up to this point in the night, some of the best action. Um, they cut to a crowd about a third of the way into this match, and they already just see bored out of their minds. Um, I'm I'm sure looking at this match card um, on paper, it seemed exciting, and then you get there and you see old men rolling around the ring. It's not it's not as exciting. Um, Rosenblum uh, calls a drop kick a leg drop. Wow. Captain Lou does call him out on it, though. Um, Dutch responds and says that they're cutting him a break, considering that this is his first time doing a professional wrestling event. Um, Fantastico gets tossed out of the ring, and Scorpio hits a springboard crossbody onto the outside. Um, back in the ring now, um, it's Fantastico's turn uh, to get his aerial offense in. Um, hits a drop kick, sending Scorpio to the outside, followed by a springboard plancha. Uh, this leads Scorpio to give a back body drop to Fantastico into the crowd. And on Fantastico's way down, it actually hits a young child in the crowd. Um, no mention is made of it. Um, you know, the camera stays in the crowd and on that shot for a while. Um, nobody seems to run up and check on the child. Um, we just keep going with the match. Um, as they keep working their way into the crowd, um, the shot is so dark and shot from so far away, you can't see what's going on at all. So we're going to go back to the ring. Um, Fantastico hits a low blow, followed by an exploder suplex. Um, a good bit of back and forth action. Um, Two Cold Scorpio finally gets the upper hand, um, hits a middle rope tumbleweed, which looks good. Then he goes to the top rope for another tumbleweed and absolutely misses it. Um, Fantastico sells like, um, he, he sells it like it was a gunshot wound. Um, Scorpio gets the three, and then they show the replay of the botch, which... They didn't get a good camera angle on it the first time. But then when they showed the replay, it was worse the second time. Uh, it was bad. Um, I'm going to give this a half account. Um, this has some pretty decent action in it. Um, 
the the production uh, hurt the match. Um, the crowd action, along with the replay um, of the botched tumbleweed. Um, to be honest, I would have given it a one count had it not been for the production issues and the finish. Um, and if the commentary team would have sold it a little better, um, I would have bumped bumped it up. But it was a it was an okay match on a card littered with garbage. Um, Fantastico has since said that him and Two Cold Scorpio actually scripted their match the night before. Um, they were given the understanding that it was going to be about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, they got to about the 8 to 9 minute mark in their match and then were told to wrap it up. Um, I thought 8 to 9 minutes was plenty for these guys. Um, it seemed a little rushed, which is why maybe it was a little botchy um, when you have to shave about half your match away after scripting it um i can understand why you know maybe some mistakes were made um but yeah pretty okay match considering you know what we're getting ready to see post-match rosenblum announces that bill stone has made captain lou albano the commissioner of heroes of wrestling uh fun fact um nick bockwinkle was um, scheduled to be the commissioner of the Heroes of Wrestling. Um, and then since he no-showed and Captain Lou was already there, um, that was the decision that they decided to go with. Um, so, yay! So, so there was intent that there were going to be future shows. Um, so I do like that aspect of it. Um, just the execution everything is not great. But I'll get to that a little later. Backstage, Bundy cuts a mediocre heel promo, um, kind of finishing what he started at the beginning of the show, but nothing special here. Um, the next match is is something of a garbage fire. <laughs> um, you could put lipstick on a pig, and it's still a pig. Um, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov um, against uh, the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch. Volkov and the Sheik out to the ring first. Um, get a Russian na national anthem, uh, followed by a demonstration of strength from the Iron Sheik. Um, about four to five minutes, we won't get back. Um, Luke and Butch out to the ring next. They are announced as the men from Down Under. Um, as we uh, as we touched on at the beginning of the show here. Um, they couldn't be called the Bushwhackers due to WWE copyright. Um, but as they're making their way down to the ring, um, they're just licking fans all the way down. And you just look at some of the people they're licking and, you know, I'm not judging. Um, I'm just judging the decisions um, about licking fans. Probably not a good idea, especially now in hindsight, you know, in the state of the world we're living in now <laughs> compared to 1999. Um, and this is October, 1999. So we were actually close to, uh, Y2K. Um, so, but anyway, um, the crowd is chanting USA for a great majority of this match. Um, and it's funny because you have the Sheik who is, of, who's from Iran, Volkov from Russia, and the Bushwhackers who are from New Zealand. Holy smokes. Um, match starts though and all four men are in the ring. Um, some bad looking punches from everyone. And it leads to the heels powdering out. Um, outside for a minute or so. Um, then they come back in and then get back out. And uh, Volkov and Sheik are pretending to leave the match. And healing it out, healing it up on the way out. Um, but they get back in the ring, they get some heel work in, um, and I'm not kidding. Um, it's some of the softest kicks and grappling I have ever seen in a professional wrestling match. It's bad. Um, Another, though, horrible camera angle 
with a wide shot of inside the venue. Um, no lighting in the crowd. Um, all you see is just a bright blue blur um, in the middle of your screen and it's just surrounded by darkness. Um, Rosenblum with another just chef's kiss of a call here, um, calling a scoop slam a bear hug. Um, Volkov um, has one of the bushwhackers at this point. I do not care which one. Um, and gives him the softest backbreaker of all time in which Rosenblum then calls a soft slam. All four men in the ring again with clumsy, clunky action. Um, more heel work, though, as Volkov gets a foreign object, connects the first time, but then hits the Sheik on accident the second time. Bushwhackers capitalize and get the three count. Um, this is the lowest grade you can get on referee's discretion, and it's a no contest. Um, I really have no words for this match, if you can even call it that. Um, the match went just under nine minutes. The the anthem and the uh, demonstration of strength went about five to six minutes. Um, throw in two minutes for you know the bushwhackers. All that time, all that time, you are never going to get back. The wrestling was bad. The production was bad. Rosenblum is awful. This whole thing was an absolute train wreck. Do not watch this match. Do not. Moving on. <sighs> on to our next match. Um, start with a vignette um, from footage earlier in the day uh, showing Tully Blanchard arriving. Um, St. John tries to get an interview with him. Uh, and Sweet Stan Lane attacks him from behind. Um, Blanchard recovers and then, honestly, to nobody's surprise, he cuts a heck of a promo. Um, this is the moment of the night for me. Um, there was heart and conviction, and it gives you hope. After what we just saw, this is a thing of beauty. Actual wrestling and storytelling and heart. Um... On to the match now, though. Um, Sweet Stan out first to the ring. Uh, cuts a quick promo on Tully Blanchard and then introduces himself a la Michael Buffer. Um, Blanchard then comes out to Pyro. Yay, Pyro. Um, and not a second to spare here because um, we only get it a couple more times uh, throughout the card. Um, but, but nobody to give it to better than Tully Blanchard. Um, anyway, some good technical wrestling to start. Uh, Sweet Stan getting the upper hand, though. Um, definitely also working the crowd. Um, and, and it's being booked as Lane, as Stan Lane being the heel, Tully Blanchard being the face. Um, but the crowd at times are behind Stan Lane. Um, with a lot of horsemen suck chants. Um, I know that, I know that, uh, fellow PWO alum Jeff Hall would be super upset. Um, multiple crowd reactions though showed bored fans um, and the commentary team are calling them mesmerized. I'm not sure if they're still recovering from the last match um, or if they are actually mesmerized. This is actually okay wrestling. Um, but while all this is going on, um, you have Sweet Stan who hangs Blanchard on the top rope and Rosenboom calls it a body slam. Gosh, he's really bad. <laughs> I know he hasn't done it before, but this is just another one of the numerous issues with this card in general. Um, Lane continuing to dominate throughout the match. Um, Tolly does get a second wind. He puts uh, Sweet Stan in a figure four on the outside. Um... Lane rakes the eyes to get out of it, goes for a pile driver, but then reverses with a backdrop. Um, Sweet Stan um, backdrops Blanchard into a pin, and then a three count is made. Um, you see Blanchard throw his shoulder up to get um, to get out of the pinning predicament. Um, 
but a lot of confusion uh, from the commentators immediately. Um, the camera pans of the crowd, they're confused as well. Um, it turns as, it turns out that it's an old school dusty finish um, is how it's being um, presented. Um, however, in reality, um, they weren't told ahead of time what the finish was. Um, only the official knew to make the three count. Uh, so, um, I don't know why. This absolutely just boggles me how you put a story into it and then you don't tell the people who are wrestling the finish. And then you just tell the referee when to make the finish. And that's it. Um, but they show the replay. Um, they both had their shoulders on the mat after the backdrop. Um, like I said, Tully got a shoulder up. That was at two. Um, Lane still had his down. And that was it. We have a three count and a decision. Um, Post-match, you have Sweet Stan who pushes the ref. Um, tries to get some heel work in. Uh, but Tully gets the upper hand and chases him away, saving the day. Um, this gets a half count for me. Um, I'm trying not to overshoot any of these grades because I know that um, we'll get to wrestling matches later down the road um, that are much better than this and much more polished. Um, but I actually like the story that they put into this match, um, especially from the footage earlier and then that killer promo from Tully. Um, the match was passable. I think um, I think their time is you know come and gone. Um, I would have actually liked to see it go another, you know, five five minutes or so, get an actual proper finish. Um, they could have also worked some more storytelling into the match, um, but, I, but I thought it was fine. Um, it could have been a one count um, if it would have been for the finish. Um, the commentary team being confused immediately as soon as the three count was made was annoying. They knew what was going on, but the fact that your competitors don't, like, that's absolutely idiotic booking. Like, why would you not tell the people who are finishing the match what the finish is? Um, a poor finish to um, what I think was a good wrestling match. All right, cut to the back. St. John is with King Kong Bundy again, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart, who is Jake the Snake Roberts' opponent in the uh, in the semi-main event. Um, don't hear audio for a little bit, but when it starts to chip in, it's kind of a strange promo. Um, the Anvil says he doesn't have a problem with Jake Roberts, but it's a wrestling match, not a zoo. Bundy says that, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Um, kind of a strange segue into the match uh, with One Man Gang and Abdullah the Butcher. Um, strap yourselves in. Um, they show a promo from the One Man Gang from earlier uh, saying he's going to take out Abdullah the Butcher for good. Um, Abdullah makes his way down to the ring. Um, he's getting in the ring and One Man Gang just jumps him. Bell sounds and here we go. Um, a lot of loud noises from the one-man gang um, as he gets um, some headshots. Uh, he gets some headshots to Abdullah with the chain. Um, it was probably about two or three shots to the head, and Abdullah the Butcher's already busted open. Um, after an unprotected chair shot to the head of Abdullah, um, one-man gang pushes Abdullah's head into the ring post, and it was on the softness scale, it was on the Bushwhackers level with the Sheik and Volkov from earlier. It was that bad. Um, but, but the grunting from the one-man gang made it very convincing. Um, but this is a one-sided affair, all in favor of one-man gang. Um, Abdullah gets a right hand about halfway through the match, um, but, but the gang sells it like a gunshot. Um, Abdullah finally gets his... Um, Finally gets his fork out, 
and starts giving it to the one-man gang. Um, after a couple shots, um, you know, one-man gang is on the mat. The camera pans to Abdullah, and he is rubbing his face and licking the blood. So he would wipe it down his face and then lick the blood. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, everybody's bleeding. Everybody's getting their shots in. Um, Abdullah, for whatever reason, throws the fork into the crowd um, and then drops an elbow on the one-man gang. Gang powders out. Abdullah follows. Um, as soon as they start brawling onto the outside, they're starting to get close um, to the announce table. Um, and then they just call for the bell. Yeah, that's how this match ends. They just call for the bell, and they keep fighting. Um, bell's ringing, bell's ringing. They go into the backstage area, and that's it. Um, this is a no contest, easily. Um, there, was, there was blood and foreign object use, and typically in professional wrestling, that, that screams excitement. Um, but there was no excitement here. Um, it was a complete waste of time. Um, no explanation as to why the match was stopped. Um, there was more action in this, though, than the tag match from earlier. Um, so, yeah. All right, on to our next match. Uh, footage is shown from a card game played earlier in the day. Um, at the table, you have uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, and Captain Lou Albano. Um, with it being um, at a casino, they have surveillance cameras everywhere. Um, but it reveals that Bob Orton is hiding cards underneath his body. Um, a small skirmish breaks out. Um, then right before the match starts, um, St. John has Albano and Snook in the back. And Captain Lou is just off the rails, just rambling about whatever in this promo. Um, me not really getting in the wrestling until probably the early to mid-90s. I didn't get a real taste of what Captain Lou Albano's promos were back in the day. But this is not my cup of tea. He is very... Um, he is... He is rambling. Um, it's very hard to tell what he's saying. Um, but long story short, um, he's calling Orton uh, a liar, a cheater, and a stealer. Um, Orton does um, have a uh, pre-match video. He says, he says, yo, he's innocent, uh, but he can't wait to step in the ring with Snuka. Um, uh, but some good back and forth to start here. Um, some agility on display from Jimmy Snuka. Um, with that being said, Orton controls probably about the fourth person in this match. Um, Snuka getting almost no offense in. Um, a lot of power moves and grappling from Orton. Um, he has an arm lock in for about a good two to three minutes. Um, um, but the crowd starts to get a little antsy. Um, they say Bob is a, um, it's a homophobic slur. It starts with an F, uh, but he said Bob is a blank. Um, Orton's playing the crowd, though. He's a professional. Um, but that turns out to be the turning point for Snuka. Um, big collision in the middle of the ring. Snuka falls on his back, and Orton falls onto Snuka. Um, and the ref just doesn't count for a while. I don't know why. Um, but he just kind of is just staring at them and then just starts to count. Um, Snooka goes to the top rope. Orton crotches him uh, on the top rope. Orton goes for a superplex, but as he leans backwards to bring Snooka with him, uh, Captain Lou holds his holds Snooka's ankles down um, so he can stay on the top rope. Um, Snooka then flying crossbody. Gets the three count. Snuka is your winner in this one. Um, Post-match, Orton is livid uh, that the ref didn't catch the uh, deception by Captain Lou helping Snuka. Um, and then you get some more of those homophobic slurs from um, from the beautiful Mississippi crowd. Um, 
this is going to get a half count for me. Um, as far as this card goes, this is a passable match. Um, albeit the story was short, but it was there. Um, the in-ring work was passable. There was just a lot of slow movement, um, you know, with the power moves and the grappling. Um, but, it, but it was fine. And this is actually only a few years uh, before both of these men would get some additional appearances back in WWE. Um, Orton was prevalent with his son Randy in his feud with The Undertaker. And Snooka was in the 2008 Royal Rumble. And then was also in the... Um, he was also at WrestleMania 25 uh, in the three-on-one handicap match with uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Rowdy Roddy Piper um, against Chris Jericho in the uh, in the storyline that that centered around the movie The Wrestler. Um, so this would not be the last time that, the, that we would see these two legends. Backstage, St. John is with Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, What's about to happen is is very sad, um, but very hopeful. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts has come a very long way, um, kind of his with 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 his battles with recovery, um, rather his battles with drugs and alcohol, and in the recovery um, with the help of Diamond Dallas Page um, and the Accountability Crib. Um, um, but this is Jake the Snake Roberts at his lowest, I think. Um, the promo that he shoots here is legendary for all the wrong reasons. Um, this is the, uh, you want to play 21? Well, I've got 22 promo. Um, you can search it on YouTube. I won't get too much into it, but um, it ends with him chanting, D-D-T. D D T and then and then he just says think about it and I mean you hate to laugh because he's dealing with substance abuse um, but to see where he is now um, you know to where he was is absolutely incredible um, but but fun fact um, now that Jake Roberts is an AEW and he's Lance Archer's manager he actually pulled that line out. Um, in a segment on uh, Road to AEW All Out. Um, but multiple reports uh, for this show claim that everyone knew that Roberts was tanked hours before the match. Um, St. Saint John in an interview once said, I knew he had some issues with spirits and drugs, but he was high when he got there, and he was higher when he left. Um, on to the match. Um, both men get pyro here. Jim the Anvil Nightheart taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, Roberts brings uh, Damien to the ring, uh, puts him in the corner, and then walks back up the ramp and into the back. And you already have um, Nightheart in the ring just kind of watching all this transpire. Um, the commentary team calling it a psychological ploy. Um, okay. <laughs> um, after about a minute, he runs back out to the ring, shirtless, seemingly ready to go. He then grabs a woman's hands out of the crowd and runs them over his own chest and body. Um, you could tell that she was trying to pull away, and he wasn't budging, and he was actually pulling her closer. Um, it was super uncomfortable to watch. Um you know, but high, but the hindsight is twenty twenty. All that. Um, it was just a super uncomfortable moment for myself um, to watch that transpire. Um, but Jake's in the ring now. Starts playing with to the crowd. Um, Anvil looks absolutely done with everything um, and starts walking to the back, but then gets back in the ring. Um, match officially starts. Um, they lock up and then it ugly hip toss from Jake Roberts um Anvil working the arm of Jake Roberts he reverses goes for the DDT um but Anvil slips out gets out of the ring um Anvil starts to get back into the ring um and then Jake goes to grab Damien um 
then he holds him between his legs in a very suggestive manner. Um, Anvil is back out of the ring. Um, Jake then proceeds to lay down in the ring. Um, and with the snake's face in his own face, he starts licking Damien and rubbing the snake all over his body. Um, this is when King Kong Bundy walks to the ring. Um, he has a small conversation with Jim Neidhart, and then he attacks Jake from behind. Um, and then time kind of seems to slow down. Um, Jim Neidhart has Jake the Snake Robertson headlock for like a solid minute or two. Um, Jake Roberts gets up, goes for a DDT, and King Kong Bunny distracts him. Anvil gets him back in a headlock for a about another minute or two, um, and then same and then same thing happens. King Kong Bunny just actually gets in the ring this time and then just starts putting the boots to Roberts. Um, here comes Yokozuna though, down to make the save. Uh, goes after Bundy, um, but at this point Jake is either selling um, the beating he just got, or he is too um, he is too far gone to even realize what's going on. Um, but the numbers game gets to Yokozuna, and Neidhart and Bundy are putting the fists and boots to Yokozuna. Um, as this beatdown continues, though. Um, in the words of Teddy Long, it's a tag match now, playa, as now we have Jake the Snake Roberts and Yokozuna taking on Jim the Anvil Nightheart and King Kong Bundy. This is your main event. Um, it was not actually put together on the fly, as many would pres as many would presume. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit, but um, the commentary team is absolutely confused as to whom uh, this mystery man who just comes down to the ring and is now at ringside uh, is uh, talking to uh, King Kong Bundy and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Um, it turns out this man's name is Michael Henry, who they refer to as Baby Bundy. Um, he was actually one of the producers on, on the show. Um, this, this gets off to a bad start. Um, Jim Neidhart giving Jake the Snake Roberts multiple unnecessary chair shots to the head. Bundy then gets his turn and gives Jake another chair shot to the head. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't understand. Everybody knew that he was tanked, but yet you want to give him unprotected chair shots to the head. Like, like come on. Um, King Kong Bundy then throws Jake back into the ring um, Anvil puts the knees to him um, multiple tags happen here um, for some reason very quick tags um, and it's not good tag teamwork it's very obvious it's not good tag teamwork um, it's either they're powdering or there's just no clear direction in which this match is going um, but now King Kong Bundy is back in the ring. He goes for a pin. Um, he actually has to pick Jake's arm up to keep the match going. Um, and the whole time this is going, the chair shots, um, the pins, Yokozuna is just standing in the corner, um, just not helping, um, not trying to get involved in any way, shape, or form. Um, Neidhart takes Jake's boot off and starts beating him with it. Um, Jake Roberts seems to get a second wind. Low blow to Bundy. Low blow to Neidhart. And gets the hot tag to Yokozuna. Yokozuna, House of Fire, coming in, putting the boots and fists to Anvil in the corner. They are the two legal men at this point. Very important. Um, Jake Roberts is on his back in the middle of the ring now. King Kong Bundy, splash onto Jake Roberts. The referee comes through and makes the three count. And the match is over. And the announcement is made. Um, and you have Bundy and Neidhart win the match. Um, I'll start by this and then get into all the extracurriculars. This is a no contest in my eyes. Um, 
just utter chaos and disorganization. Um, not as bad as um, Valentine and Steel or the horrendous tag match, uh, but it's pretty bad. Um, mainly for Jake and his drunkenness, Yokozuna and his ineffectiveness, and um, the the inability to write a cohesive story by anybody in the back. Um, with that being said, though, um, reports after the show um, say that nobody in this match wanted to take a pin. Um, Neidhart didn't want to take a pin uh, from Jake because he was contacted by WWE and they were interested in signing him. Um, he ended up working uh, in their development territory the following year. Um, Bundy didn't want to take the pin. Um, and Yokozuna didn't want to take, take the pin. But that was because they actually had it written into their contracts with Heroes of Wrestling that they would not be pinned and they would not be submitted. It makes you wonder, if that was the case, why would we book King Kong Bundy versus Yokozuna for the main event when neither one can be pinned? It makes no sense. Um, to end the show, though, um, Yokozuna has Baby Bundy. Um, and Yokozuna's working up the crowd. God, everybody chanting DDT. Send him home happy. Um, so he's waiting uh, for Jake to make his move. And he's too drunk to move right now. He actually falls to a knee and then eventually falls to the mat. Um, um, and, and Michael Henry is not a trained wrestler. Um, they did not work this prior to or before anything happened live. Um, but Yokozuna actually whips him into the ropes, catches him for a rough-looking Samoan drop. And Yokozuna at this point, um, they mentioned it a couple times throughout the match, that he was about 640. Um, and I've, I've never encountered anybody that large in size, but I can imagine it, it was a rough bump. Um, so all that happens, and then Jake puts Damien on Michael Henry, and fade to black. Um, reason for this being, um, Bill Stone actually made that decision. Um, he didn't want, um, Roberts to do anything else stupid, um, in his own words there, um, after the match. All right. Coming back to a point that I made at the beginning of this episode, I said that Bill Stone brought his attorney in to make sure they weren't going to be sued. Um, well, two days after this event took place, Stone received a phone call uh, from Connecticut and WWE's legal team. They were going to sue Stone's production company, but after he reassured them there would be no more Heroes of Wrestling events moving forward, WWE's legal team said there wouldn't be any further problems. My final grade for Heroes of Wrestling is zero out of five stars. Um, we're gonna have two awards um, each each episode that um, we go through a wrestling card. Um, one is going to be the Ric Flair Award uh, for the best match of the night. Um, and this goes to Tully Blanchard and Sweet Stan Lane. Um, if you take away the finish, the match was good. Um, and these guys we, we knew coming in are not in their prime. Um, but they put on a heck of a performance based on the time they were given. And then on top of that, the promo from Tully Blanchard was incredible. Um, on the flip side, um, the Bella Award is going to be awarded for the worst match of the night um and without a doubt if you didn't already see this coming um it was the bushwhackers versus the iron Sheik and nikolai volkov um it took me two days no lie to watch that whole segment and match start to finish um it was rough um but the whole card in general 
I don't even know where to begin to, to sum everything up. Um, the poor production value, the poor commentary from Randy Rosenblum in particular, um, bad in, in-ring action, and by far, as I've said, one of the worst, if not the worst, wrestling match that I've ever seen in my life. Um, there was hope for this event sprinkled through, um, but there were too many negatives to outweigh the very, very, very few positives. Um, or- or- Orton and Snuka was meh. Um, Tupo Scorpio and Julio Fan Fantastico meh. Um, but but Tully Blanchard and Stan Lane um, were were definitely the stars or the heroes of of the night. Those were my thoughts on Heroes of Wrestling. Um, it took me a handful of days um, to get through this card. I had to step away a handful of times, and um, it was rough to get through. But um, it was it was for you, uh, the fans of PWO and the fans of Referee's Discretion. Um, but if you've seen it, what do you think? Uh, leave your thoughts in the comments below. If you have a suggestion for pay-per-view cards for me to review, also leave those in the comments below. Please like, share, and subscribe to Podcast World Order for more incredible content. We are live on Facebook and YouTube every Monday and Thursday, and a new episode of Referee's Discretion will be posted every Sunday. On our next episode, um, we, we need a palate cleanser. Myself, the, you, the fans, everybody needs a palate cleanser here. Um, with that being said, we will be taking a look at ECW Heat Wave from 1998. From, pod, from everyone here at Podcast World Order, thank you for watching. And remember, at the end of the day, it's always referee's discretion. I'm Cod Sinclair. We'll see you next time.